Take to turn there. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to, to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? <clears throat> or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to do, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? It could be called Holiness 101. It could be called the Constitution of the King. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount depicts a very high ethical standard on the part of those that belong to God. The morality and godliness that it speaks of can't help but humble anyone who reads the sermon or who initially heard it so long ago. Because it depicts a type of righteousness, to put it simply, that is just beyond us. If you would, look in your Bible at Matthew 5 and verse 6. There. Early on in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. They shall be filled. Do you always hunger and thirst after what's righteous? Are you starving and are you dying of thirst for what is right? Go down just a few verses. Look at verse 10. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Whenever we might suffer for what is right in our lives, do we consider it a blessing and do we rejoice and are we exceeding glad? Even when we do suffer for what's right, doing so with the attitude depicted by Jesus here seems beyond us at times, doesn't it? Look at verse 20. Matthew 5, verse 20. Yes, this sermon is about Christian character, godly character, living in the kingdom of God. But Matthew 5.20 says, Except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom. Are you ever insincere? As Tim, our brother, prayed a few moments ago, do you ever suffer with being distracted? Or confused? 
Do you ever harbor resentment when we ought to be worshiping and praising? Struggling with sin and realizing that often we are not righteous despite our desire for the contrary. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 1. In that passage, the Lord says, Beware that you do not do your acts of righteousness to be seen of men. Sometimes is it the approval and applause of others that we desire? And the approval of God gets lost because our ego has gotten inflated. Look at Matthew 6.33. Five times in this sermon you see the word righteous or righteousness. And this is the last. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Is that always what you seek? Is it always what you seek first? Is it what I seek first? This sermon is humbling because it points to a righteousness that is beyond us. The big idea of the Sermon on the Mount is not living godly moral lives, though that is important. The big idea of the Sermon on the Mount is what Jesus reveals about the Father. It is the heartbeat of the entire sermon. It is the central idea that he repeatedly stresses. It is through the Father that we have life's greatest blessings. So this morning I'd like to consider what the Son says about the Father. Because in this sermon, and think about it, it is in a book, Matthew, that has five big teaching sections. And this is the first one, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The first thing that Jesus wants to stress and emphasize right out of the gate, we would say... Yes, this is how people will live that are sons and daughters of the Father, God. If you would, let's look at this term together, Father, in the sermon. The expression is found 17 times, but as we examine the expression, the Father in the Sermon on the Mount, 10 observations. Turn first of all to Matthew 5 and verse 16. Matthew 5 and verse 16. In this passage, the Lord talks about doing the things that we do so that men would see our good works 
There's the ethics, there's the morals, and glorify our Father who is in heaven. He had spent verses 3 through 12, Jesus had, talking about character and integrity. In verses 13 through 16, he's been dealing with a matter of influence. And what he's saying is this, your character, who you really are inside, your influence, how you are really perceived by others by way of reputation... The purpose of this is so people will glorify your Father in heaven. If you're taking notes or marking your Bibles, by this section put two words. His glory. His glory. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying right here... All we are and all that is involved in our influence and reputation should be to His glory. This is the ultimate like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. What you are and what you do makes me reflect and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Work your way down to verse 45. Here's the second reference to the Heavenly Father. In Matthew 5, what happens is this. In verses 17 through 48, the end of the chapter in our English translations. In Matthew 5, 17 through 48, Jesus is talking about the importance of respecting God and His Word. The importance of respecting God and His Word. The Old Testament in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And then six contrasts about God's Word, God's will, and what some people believed and practiced at that time in history and now. And Jesus begins these contrasts by saying, You've heard it said, but I say unto you. But look again at verse 45. In Matthew 5 and verse 45, Jesus has been dealing with the matter of retaliation and how we deal with people who are our enemies. And he talks about loving them and praying for them. And so you shall be sons of your Father who is in heaven. His glory... Matthew 5, 16. His word, Matthew 5 and verse 45. Why should we love our enemies and pray for them? Well, quite simply, that's what the word of God teaches us to do. And I found over the years that oftentimes... The easiest passages to understand are the hardest passages to apply. 
Amen? It's easy to understand what Jesus is saying here. It's not so easy to apply it. His Word. But if we really are concerned about His glory, we are also going to have a great concern for His Word. He is the Father. We belong to Him. We're part of His family. Third, look at Matthew 5 and verse 48. Be therefore perfect. You must be perfect, the passage says. Even as He who called you is perfect. Most people who study the Bible very much realize that there are occasions when the word perfect means full-grown and mature and of great stature. I don't believe that's what the word means in Matthew 5.48. Yes, there are plenty of passages that teach we must be full-grown and mature. But this passage says, be perfect even as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that will either greatly humble you or you'll be smug enough and self-righteous enough to think that you can do it. By the passage, remember or jot down His perfection. A child of God is concerned about the Father's glory, the Father's Word, and the Father's perfection. As we work our way through Christ's sermon, look at Matthew 6.1. Those who do their deeds, their acts of righteousness, to be seen of men will receive no reward from the Heavenly Father. In other words, if a person desires the approval and applause of others, they may get it, but they will receive no reward from the Heavenly Father. If you're jotting things down or remembering them, the Sermon on the Mount is not just about the Father's glory, Matthew 5.16, the Father's Word, Matthew 5.45. The Father's Perfection, Matthew 5.48. It's also about our desire to please the Father, the Father's pleasure, Matthew 6.1. The things that we do may well cause others to glorify God and to appreciate us. But all the while, we're still just little servants of a great God. We're still sons and daughters of a magnificent Father. I think it's a terrible mistake to take this sermon and to moralize it as if you and I can somehow fulfill its demands out of our own ability and skill. 
Everything about the Sermon on the Mount causes us to look beyond ourselves to a Father who could help us be what we never could be on our own. Now, if you would, look at Matthew chapter 6. Consider verse 4. Consider verse 6 where the word Father is found twice. And then consider verse 18 where the word Father is found twice. In the context of giving, verse 4, in the context of praying, verse 6, and in the context of fasting, verse 18, you have a repeated statement. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. Do you see that in each of those passages? Really important. And because of the double emphasis on the Father, in verse 6 and verse 18, this may be in some ways the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Because you see, prayer and giving and fasting are all acts of religious service. And they can be twisted and distorted as beautiful as the practices are when motivation is not what it ought to be. And what Jesus says is your Father who sees you in secret doing these things will reward you. If you're jotting things down or trying to keep things in memory, His communion, the Father's communion or fellowship is what we desire. I would in no way take away the principle of the assembly, take anything away from that. But I'll say this, private worship and communion with God will enhance public worship of God. But the opposite is not necessarily so. Public worship ought to enhance our private worship and our communion with God. But it doesn't necessarily, does it? Does public worship, and I hope it does, encourage you to invest more time in communion with God, in prayer, in meditation, in praise? See, the devil is pretty tricky. Because while people who practice private worship can have their public worship enhanced, the opposite is not necessarily so. It's all about motivation. Continuing, look if you will at Matthew 6, 8 and Matthew 7, 11. Matthew 6, 8. And Matthew 7, 11, I mention these passages together because 
they deal with the same theme. The second, Alan read for us in our scripture reading. But your father knows you have need of these things, Matthew 6 and verse 8. Both passages speak of the Father's generosity and His willingness to give us what is needed. His generosity, the two words. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. But today we're looking at the Father of Fathers. And whether or not we all had a great dad, we have an incredible, awesome, heavenly father. His generosity. He gives good things. He gives good gifts. James 1, 16 and 17, the father of lights in whom there is no variance. And this is one of my favorites, and it's a well-known one. Look at Matthew 6, verse 9. As he begins the model prayer, as we often call it, the prayer of example, the Lord says, Our Father. My mind can't help but jump biblically to 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we can be called the children of God and such we are. That was 1 John 3, 1. Every time you pray... You are going to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16. Every time a child of God prays, they are going to the Father's gracious throne. And this verse emphasizes the love of the Father. Our Father. People who've been made near to God by Jesus, our Father. People who are the ones who belong to Jesus, who are in Christ, our Father. God can be the Father of everyone in a saving way, potentially. But to those who are in Christ, He's the Father in a family way, and a loving Father listens to his children. I was thinking earlier today, actually even in the evening, how often my children and I have talked with each other. And sometimes they were saying to me things that were really heavy on their hearts. But I was distracted, even though I wanted to listen. Aren't you glad our Heavenly Father's not like that? That there's never a time when He is so frazzled and worn out and tired and distracted. 
What I want you to realize, Steve Taylor, what I want you to realize, Keith Powell, what I want you to realize, Lynn Mayfield, what I want you to realize, Troy, is that when you pray, it is as if you are the only person in the whole wide world talking to God. And He is alert and ready and loving to hear. Aren't you glad about that too? If you would... Look at Matthew 6 and consider verses 14 and 15. If Matthew 9 dealt with his love, Matthew 6, 14 and 15 deal with his forgiveness. If you forgive, the heavenly Father will forgive you. If you forgive not, neither will you be forgiven by the Father in heaven. His forgiveness. No wonder why Paul would write in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Three more passages, but two more points. Look at Matthew 6, and look at the reference to the Father in verse 26 and in verse 32. Matthew 6, 26, Matthew 6, and verse 32. Matthew 6, 25 through 34 is all about anxiety. It's all about worry. And what's being said about the Father is that He is trustworthy. His trustworthiness. We worry about finances. We worry about family. We worry about health. We worry about the future. Our Heavenly Father is trustworthy. People needed to know that then. People need to know that now. Lastly, look at Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, 21. Where Jesus says in a pretty well-known verse, Not every man that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. passage is about the decisions that we make, the commitments that we make. And if you're trying to remember things about the Father, the two words to remember here are His work. He who does the will of my Father. His work. All of these great truths about the Father are truths that are being proclaimed by the Son. Let's stop 
and rewind. What was Matthew 5.16 about, Thomas? It was about doing what? Jesus, John 1, 14 through 18, is the one who reveals the glory of God. He's the embodiment of it. Go to Matthew 5 and verse 45. And the idea of loving your enemies and praying for those that persecute you. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his. Well, Jesus did it for enemies too. Matthew 5, 48, the Father is what and we're not. He's perfect. Which one of you convicts me of sin, Jesus would say. John 8, 46. Matthew 6, 1. While people saw the righteousness of Jesus, it's important to remember that that's all people ever saw in Jesus. It wasn't simply to be seen of men. As we work our way through each of these, Jesus is the perfect, He's the embodiment of each one of these. And here's the point. If you and I are to have the relationship with the Father that we ought to long for and that He longs to have with us, it's only going to be through the Son. It's only going to be through Jesus. It won't be through self-effort. It won't be through self-righteousness. It won't be through something or someone else. It'll only be in Christ. And that's what the sermon is all about. The Father and what his children look like. So Ryan, if I'm sitting down sometime talking to Colton about the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is about the character of a great father and how his children love him. We're about to stand and sing a song of encouragement. It may be that there's someone here that needs to respond to the Son. And so become a child of God. You respond to the love and mercy of God the Son by faith. Hebrews eleven six. One responds to the grace and provision of Jesus at the cross by repentance, turning. There has been a change of heart and a change of mind that will result in a change of life with God's help. Luke 13, 3 through 5. One comes to Jesus by confessing with one's mouth he is God's son, by acknowledging that truth. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And one needs to be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, 
to have those sins washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. To be forgiven of sin, Acts two thirty eight. Have you responded to the Son to be the Father's child? And for those of us who are Christians, what a tremendous blessing and privilege we have to try to show the beauty and the love and forgiveness of the Father to others so that they will know Him too. Let us stand and sing.